not entirely live from Carson Sestouli's laptop computer, it's Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I am Carson Sestouli, and though this podcast is not live, one thing that is, is the live discussion that we at Fangraphs will be hosting in New York City on August 7th, that's Saturday, August 7th. In this edition of the pod, we sit down with Mr. Dave Cameron, Joe Polakowski, and Brian Smith, all of whom will be in attendance at the live discussion. We find out exactly what all this mess is about. Additionally, we look at and ask some questions about Dave Cameron's trade value series, in which Mr. Cameron sought to rank from 50 down to 1, the 50 players who would likely be worth the most in a trade. One note, like many great works of art, Stewart's painting of George Washington or Gaudi's Sagrada Familia, this particular podcast is unfinished owing to some technical difficulties. You will notice that the pod nearly ends around minute 22. One wonders what we might have said, but I think we can all assume that it would have been great. Of course, the first 20 minutes are pretty excellent, too, and those are here for you right now on Fangraphs Audio. Yes, it is, once again, an edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, Sitting here with me, Carson Stooley, around the virtual table, I have three pod veterans. Uh, Let's see, looking here, we have Dave Cameron, a uh, full-time employee coming to us from America's Research Triangle. Is that right? You're still in the Research Triangle, Dave? Uh, I'm like 100 miles west of that. Oh, you're <laughs> they didn't they didn't let you in. Now, with the Research <laughs> Triangle, is that they're doing research on people or it's people doing research? Uh, it's people doing research in the Raleigh, Durham, Cary area. And okay. the, and I'm I'm a good good drive from that. Right, you're in uh, Winston, the Winston Salem Salem. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Near uh is Rodney Rogers still live there? Uh, somewhere around here, and Josh, Josh Howard likes to get speeding tickets right down the street from where I live. Yeah, that's a recreational activity if I've ever heard of one. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, let's see, who else is here coming to us from the windiest city in America? Uh, it's our uh, prospect maven, Brian Smith. Brian, how are you? Good, Carson. How are you doing? Good. Taking a day off from futures, sir? Yes, away from soybeans futures, focusing on the baseball futures. Yeah, baseball futures. This guy has his uh, eye on the future. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, Finally, from, I don't know, America's Big Apple, or uh, at least some type of uh, tree fruit, it is uh, uh, River Ave Blues contributor, Fangraphs contributor, Joe Polakowski. Joe Paul, how are you doing, sir? Uh, Very well, Carson. Good. And uh, uh, you were just watching some uh, sort of Yankees game, is that right? Yes, I was. Yeah, your uh, your man Javier Vasquez. I'm sure your favorite guy on the team. Uh, was I, it 37? What were the numbers? 37 pitches through four innings, 39 in the fifth. Okay, that is a uh, bizarre start. And now he just faced his third leadoff double of the game. Yeah, that's it. Must be frustrating, Joe. Is that right to have uh, Javier Vasquez on your team? No, because he's been he's been excellent lately. Oh, he has. Oh, he's been lights out. He's been one of the best pitchers on the team, you know, the second best pretty much, except for uh, except for CC. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I totally knew that. I was just testing you. Okay, very good. Uh, listen, first order business today, and th- uh, this is uh, part of the reason we've uh, I've asked the three of you here, is that um, Fangraphs is hosting what is being called a uh, live event and/or live discussion to be uh, held Saturday, August seventh, uh, at the uh, Florence Gould Hall. 55 East, 59th Street, New York, New York. I'll say that like seven more times. During the course of this conversation, it's held from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. A number of conversations about it, and the thing that I think is going to help me with this is I'm actually genuinely curious about what is going to happen during this. 
Dave Cameron, you appear to be uh, at least one of the guys in charge of putting this thing together. Uh, what the H? Can you uh, maybe start <laughs> off and tell us at least what's going to happen when we arrive there at 9 a.m.? Uh, well, someone will take your ticket, and you'll get entered inside. The Gould Hall is basically like a performance theater, so uh, you know you have to take your seats. It's supposed to be uh, quite good, particularly with no bad seats in the house. Actually, Tom Tango has said he's seen performances there, and uh, so we're looking forward to uh, a good venue, um, and we'll kick it off probably uh, right around 9 or so and try and get three good hours of baseball discussion in. We've got a wide range of guests, um, ranging from the River Ave Blues guys doing a New York discussion, potentially with some other guests who we haven't announced yet, um, and some really awesome media guests. I think we're going to do a media panel discussion, which should be a lot of fun. That'll be moderated by Jonah Carey and include Will Leach, Michael Silverman, Alex Spear, and David David Bitterman of the Wall Street Journal. So I think uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, just talking about how baseball's coverage has changed and how these guys have had to react to statistical analysis and the rise of it versus the Internet. And So, uh, yeah, we're really excited about the media panel discussion. And then there will be, like, five or six Fangraphs authors there, so I'm sure we'll take some questions from the crowd and uh, kind of talk about the site and where it's going. Okay, yeah, oh, well, that sounds excellent. Now, uh, a couple questions with regard to this. First of all, I noticed that, in fact, the Florence Good Hall is located... Uh, in the Alliance Française or the uh, French Institute yep. in France, is that was that specific request of Jonah Carey that we needed to meet in a French-speaking area of New York City? Well, he actually asked that we would meet in a restaurant that serves poutine, but we couldn't find one with 350 available seats. So this was the next best thing we could do. Oh man, that guy loves a cheese curd. He put it on anything. Yeah, uh, he does. Yeah. Okay. Well, here. Well, here's the question. Now, now, all that sounds really fantastic, and. Um, I'm sure that so long as we don't get, uh, at least the Fangraphs contributors get rotten tomatoes thrown at us, it'll be a good time for everyone. One question, um, it's held, it's being held from 9 a.m. to noon, Dave. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah I know it's, uh, it's early, but there's the Yankees-Red Sox game. It starts at 4 o'clock in the afternoon later that day, and uh, several of our guests are going to be covering that game for their professions. So we had to hold it early enough to where they would be able to get from our event downtown and still be able to do their jobs. So holding it directly before the game or right up leading the game time wasn't going to be realistic uh, for the kind of guests that we were aiming to have. And, you know, just for general people who want to come to our event and go to the baseball game and maybe, you know, eat in between, uh, we didn't want to inconvenience them. And so uh, I know it's early hours, but we tried to squeeze it in between mealtime so that people would not be starving and asking for copious amounts of food from us. Uh, and also allow for our guests to be able to get to Yankee Stadium in time to do their jobs. Okay, all right, well, that's very fair of you, uh, so so good, good on that. Uh, uh, Polakowski, you are going to be on the um, New York baseball panel. Um, we don't, it's not necessary, we don't necessarily know everyone is going to be on it, but we do know a couple guys. Can you just uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, it's going to be uh, me and my two cohorts from River Out Blues, Ben uh, Ben Kaback and Mike Axisa. Uh, you know, we we kind of have had these kinds of discussions uh, in an impersonal way on the site every day. Uh, we have open threads and open discussions and, and specific topic discussions, and it's kind of with a you know, it's hard to get really into an issue uh, when you're just you're not talking to someone, you're kind of typing at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this will be kind of a way for us to have a more personal interaction with the presumably the people in attendance for that panel will be uh, mostly our audience. Yeah, now in a sense, uh, I mean, you know, with this sort of thing, what do you think? What do you think are the issues, uh, sort of, on the minds of of? It could be Yankees fans, or it could just be New York baseball fans in general at the moment. I mean, is there anything that you think will be a theme that will be appearing? 
uh, Javi Vasquez. He just <laughs> gave a home run, and it's now 6-5. Live, uh, live from New York, it, it's Joe Polakowski. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably it's almost certainly going to revolve around pitching. Uh, it's a constant topic on the site, and uh, it's one of o- always the big concerns in New York, uh, whether it's the bullpen or the rotation. Uh, and I'm sure, I am sure there will be a lot of Curtis Granderson bashing going on too. Okay. Now the other thing is, this is the same uh, day, in fact, same weekend as the Red Sox Yankees series. Uh, we might talk about the Red Sox uh, a little bit uh, later in the pod. Um, but you know, it's also probably you know after the Mets and the Yankees, probably the third uh, greatest population of fans in the New York City area is Red Sox fans. You got a lot of people attending those uh, hoity uh, hoity private schools and colleges in the Boston area coming down to New York to make their fortunes as eye bankers. Uh, they'll probably be present. And uh, do you expect any sort of gang gang related violence? Any uh, knife fights? Maybe a sort of uh, Jets Sharks type of thing? Well, I'll just say this, that when I'm in a room of people wearing Red Sox hats, I do not expect to be held responsible for my actions. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, Brian Smith, you're going to be on the uh, the Fangraphs panel. Um, what is uh, what is the sort of event? Now, you and I, uh, in, we, in fact, we met at the Fangraphs thing down, um, you know, down in Arizona. I'm curious as to, um, this, of course, is, you know, much more oriented towards the public. What do, what do you think these sorts of things can accomplish. Like, what do you think? You know, Joe Paul suggested, like, you can begin creating a dialogue with the readership. I mean, what do you think are the sort of things that that you, um, you know, from two perspectives? One, as someone who's just an attendee, being able to see these conversations occur, and then secondly, as someone who writes for the site. Like, what do you think are sort of the upsides of these sort of um, these sort of conversations or live events? Well, one thing you miss is that I'm going to be hosting a Chicago panel in one of the theater closets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. That's weird. Cameron, you didn't mention that. Yeah, it was, it was a surprise. <laughs> we, we expect a lot of attendance to that. But um, to your point, I think when you get a lot of smart people in the same room, and a lot of the, I mean, all the guests are very smart and um, and very worthy of being up there, I think when you get them all in the same room and, and talking, there's bound to be things that come up that just aren't going to come up during the discourse of online conversation. So I think we'll, we'll probably hit on things that that we don't get the chance to do on a day-to-day basis when we're just reacting to the latest baseball news. Now, uh, additionally, if someone tweets about the live event from the live event, uh, will that create like a uh, like a, a slice in the time-space continuum? Well, I think it's only if we all have a Twitter conversation at once during the live event. Okay, good. I just want to make sure uh, that that uh, I'm uh, protected against that. Very good. Uh, so there, there it is. It's uh, ticket costs only fifteen dollars. Of course, it would be a deal at any price. Uh, can be purchased through Fangraphs. Uh, it's nine a.m. to twelve p.m. Florence Guild Hall. That's at the French Institute, aka the Alliance Française, 55 East 59th Street, New York, New York. You can find out more about that right at Fangraphs. Excellent, excellent. Moving on to uh, to some content on the site. Dave Cameron, you recently completed the MLB trade value uh, list. Um, always a good time for uh, for readers every year. Um, if not to appreciate it, then at least to uh, hurl insults at you as things are unfolding. Um, you know, obviously, when you come up with a list like that, there's going to be dissent. But I think that what was cool is that in the recap, you noticed maybe uh, some patterns, some interesting things. You also responded to um, some some concerns of the uh, of the commentary. First and foremost, 
Um, interesting thing was uh, with Halliday, Roy Halliday and Dan Heron, uh, two guys who are having kind of different seasons, but with maybe, I don't know, maybe sort of similar underlying skill sets. Um, I mean, certainly both looking good in terms of XFIP. They've both been better pitchers in the majors for the last couple of years. You were discussing reasons why Halliday and Heron, um, well, in the case of Halliday, I think was he was he on the list and just ranked lowly? Was that the no? One? He didn't make, he didn't he didn't make the cut. He was one of the last guys removed. So neither of them made the list, and for different reasons though. Halliday you didn't like because of no trade clause. Is that right? Yeah, I mean it's not that I don't like Roy Halliday. He's the best pitcher in baseball, and anyone would love to have him. But the problem is we just saw what Toronto could get for Roy Halliday, the person, because Roy Halliday has a full no trade clause and exercises it with a hammer that few athletes do. Most athletes are willing to say, "Give me a couple million dollars and I'll waive my no trade." Halliday's willing to say, here are the three teams I'm willing to go to. And so, you know, the Blue Jays worked really hard for a long time trying to get a deal. And eventually, you know, the trade deadline passed. They weren't able to get anything done. And finally, over the winter, they had to pay $6 million of Roy Halliday's contract in order to get a couple of good prospects for him uh, uh, from one of the few places he was willing to go. And, you know, the Phillies were able to say, you know, our top prospect is off the table for the best pitcher in baseball. And the Blue Jays had to agree to that because, they have limited options. And so I think the idea of Roy Halladay's trade value is greater than Roy Halladay's actual trade value because he holds the hammer of the no-trade clause and will whack it on any team he does not want to go to. Do you, do you think that uh, that's one of the things that maybe hasn't been uh, as explored as fully as possible uh, in terms of its inclusion in contracts is the no-trade value? I know that was one of the reasons why you had ranked Houston so lowly uh, in the organization uh, organizational list is because they they their best players uh, weren't really trade commodities because they hold uh, no trade clauses. I mean, do we really understand the value of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's maybe different for every player. I mean, there are other guys who have no trade clauses on the list that players were like, well, you didn't hold this against them because in a lot of circumstances we've seen that a no trade clause isn't always a big deal. It can really just be purchased financially like hey we'll pick up your club option for the final year of your deal or we'll give you a free plane flight to disneyland or something and these players are like all right no big deal um but for halliday he clearly showed that he had no intention of pitching for 25 26 of the teams in major league baseball which drastically drove down his value in trade because there were limited demand and the teams who he was willing to go to knew that they weren't competing against very many other teams and so um you know i think with like the Astros, it's not even so much that their guys have no trade clauses, it's that they have these absurd contracts that no one would want. And so I think that the no trade clause really does differ from person to person. We can't just say, here's the blanket value of a no trade clause. Some guys are much more flexible than others, and as we saw, Halliday was not flexible at all. Right. Um, now, another uh, interesting thing that came up um, was a type of player, Dave, uh, who you had valued more highly the year before, but uh, all of whom sunk. It was Grady Sizemore, Matt Kemp, Adam Jones, uh, B.J. Upton, and Curtis Granderson. Now that's usually a, uh, that's you know, that's usually a type of player. You know, we long levered players, speed, uh, typically a broad range of skills, but they seem to sink. Did you find any one reason for that happening? Well, I think the commonality between those five guys, and maybe you could throw Sizemore off the list because he just got hurt, and so you know his knee. Uh, kind of prevented him from playing in his normal abilities. Um, but the other four, I think the commonality is they all strike out quite a bit, and they don't have a fantastic grasp of the strike zone. The Curtis Granderson walks, but he, he's not exactly a high-contact hitter. 
Um, and B.J. Upton, Adam Jones, and Matt Kemp can all be accurately described as hacks. And, you know, they swing at pitches out of the strike zone. They don't hit breaking balls very well. They're low on base percentage guys who've gotten by because of really good physical skills. And so, you know, it's a it's an open question that I find. Is this a skill set that I have overvalued previously? Because um, I know that if you look through history, you see a lot of these guys turn into some of the best players in baseball where they can absolutely do everything. And, you know, we see patience develops later in careers, but I'm not sure that I, I may be over assuming that every young player with physical skills can and will develop a better approach at the plate as he gets older. As we saw, all five of these guys have regressed heavily. Um, and, you know, in Matt Kemp and Adam Jones's case, I mean, far more than we would have expected given their performances last year and their age. So it may be something where pitchers have adjusted faster than the hitters have. And this is something that we need to keep in mind is that you know, they might turn into superstars at 27, 28, but at 24, 25, they've got some work to do. Yeah, you know, Joe Paul, you had mentioned earlier even uh, that, you know, uh, there might be some Curtis Granderson bashing at the uh, during the New York baseball conversation. You know, that's actually a guy, um, I remember having a conversation with Jonah Carey early in, uh, earlier, you know, maybe even before the season began. Curtis Granderson was a guy you could have seen having an excellent season coming from, uh, you know, a ballpark in Comerica that that doesn't necessarily help out lefties and going to a ballpark that does. Of course, it helps out everyone in terms of homers. Uh, but really, uh, he's actually playing worse than he did last season. You know, two things about that, I guess, is uh, one, you know, what I, well, I, know, I know one of them, the reaction of New York fans. But two, do you see any evidence as to why this is happening? Is it sort of what Dave's talking about, just low contact stuff, or is there something else you see going on? Uh, it's really, honestly, the, the biggest thing that I've noticed uh, from watching him this year is his, I mean, he's totally lost on breaking and off-speed pitches. Completely lost. Uh, he's lucky to foul off uh, change-ups most of the time. He's just he's just not reading the ball well, and that seems to be, uh, you know, the biggest part of the problem. And I, I agree with Dave is a lot of times you expect these guys to improve their, their plate approach, uh, but it's really hard to predict how, how players or even project how players are going to you know, be able to change their pitch recognition, improve their pitch recognition, uh, which is which is the base for them improving uh, improving their approach overall. Right. So so this is a this is the the question of a guy being uh, a talented physical specimen with some you know baseball skills. Certainly, uh, I think that a lot of the guys we named, maybe with the exception of uh, Matt Kemp, um, have at least something like average or above average defensive capabilities. But um, but there's a question, I guess, of turning that into um, like baseball specific skills. Is that the idea? Yeah, I said, and, and it really, I think it comes down to pitch recognition because that's one of the most baseball specific skills these guys uh, these guys have to deal with. Yeah, I'm looking, and, I, and uh, of course, I'm looking right now at uh, his pitch type values, Granderson's, and uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know necessarily when these samples become reliable, but you know, he's getting thrown sliders 12% of the time, and he has almost minus three and a half runs. Uh, per hundred on the slider, you know. I'm sure a lot of that comes from uh, sliders from lefties because right. he's just absolutely lost. He's, it looks like he's got an idea of what he wants to do with the pitch when he swings at it, but it never works. It, I, I bet he swings and misses at, at sliders from lefties more than the other pitch type. Oh, that'd be uh, yeah, and of course that'd be interesting to to undergo. Uh, now, Smith, uh, of course, you're someone I'm sure as a prospect maven. Those sorts of players that we named. Uh, you know, a young Sizemore, a young Kemp, a young Jones, Upton, Granderson. When you see those guys, uh, I mean, that's that's the sort of player that that any sort of scout or uh, prospect-oriented sort of person is going to get excited about. 
what is the sort of um, leap that these guys need to make? And is there, and more importantly, is there any way of predicting which guys will make that leap and which won't? Well, I think we, I mean, when you start with the body types these guys have and, and this just raw physical skills, it's impossible for them not to end up on prospect lists because if you show me a guy that could have the potential to be the best player in baseball at a given time, I mean, I have to put him on the list, even if there's a 30%, 40% chance he, he flames out. But as far as, as these specific guys are concerned, I, I agree with Dave. I think learn, or watching that strikeout-to-walk to ratio is important, but we can't just assume that it's going to improve and it's going to improve by a significant percentage. Like a guy like Adam Jones never walked a lot, always struck out a lot, and I think we assumed that that was going to get better. But in the, at the end of the day, how far is that going to go? How, how good can he be if his skills are so rudimentary by the time he reaches the major leagues? Yeah, no, it just, and that's the thing that I guess that's interesting about baseball is, and, you know, what makes for, you know, Kevin Euclid, for example, a really good baseball player, despite his body type, right, is that there is um, this very specific skill, which is being able both to identify pitches and then also, you know, make contact with them once you do. Um, and I'm, I just, I, I'm curious, but, you know, besides looking at walk rates, um, is there really any way to get that from a scouting angle? I don't see it as being, I mean, hopefully scouts are being taught that they have to pay better attention to this and to what pitches work against hitters and what pitches don't and to really report that well. They've always done that to a certain extent, looked at guys that can't hit breaking balls, but they need to do a better job at at seeing, at thinking how is a major league pitcher going to attack this hitter and how is he going to develop over time from that angle. I think... 